Hey guys, what's going on? This is David Avalon for the Breaking the Guard podcast with my co-host Robert Drysdale. In today's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with two-time absolute black belt world champion Rodrigo Comprito Medeiros. Uh, he's a really funny guy. It was really awesome talking to him. We got into a lot of different topics from his childhood pranks that he pulled off including one with Leo Vieira where they killed a fish and ended up getting in trouble with the law. <laughs> it just reminds me of the times when me and my brother would mess around and get in trouble. And uh, we also talk about how he was part of the early alliance team and how things went there. He also goes into a lot about cross-training. He actually, on his first absolute win, he had won by toehold against um, Holeta. And this was at a time, early 2000, I think it was 2002 or whatnot, where footlocks were still kind of frowned upon in the jiu-jitsu circles. So we get into how he learned how to cross-train and his martial arts upbringing, and how cross-training, not just in styles, but at different schools, has changed over the years. We also go into how uh the, the history of fixed fights which maybe a lot of people don't realize but there are fixed matches in jiu-jitsu uh, and there have been historically he talks a little bit about that and robert elaborates with his historical knowledge of fixed matches as well we then get into how he was the coach for the famous brock lesnar and how it was he actually described it as a pleasurable experience which <laughs> surprised me and finally, we go into what he would change in jiu-jitsu now if he had the power to. So I think it was a pretty fun conversation. Uh, there's a lot to pick from it. So uh, go ahead and listen to it, and I hope you enjoy. Before we get started, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, which is DrysdaleBJJOnline.com. As you guys may know, DrysdaleBJJOnline.com is Robert's video portal where you can access online courses from him. Courses starting as low as $9. You can purchase from like his 10 best mount escapes to the 10 best side control uh, attacks. He covers different portions of the Jiu-Jitsu game piece by piece. And it's a great way to get instruction from one of the world's best. Robert's very articulate and he understands the technique very well. I would highly recommend everybody to check it out and pick up a course today. Again, you can go to DrysdaleBJJOnline.com to check out his courses and learn more. Hello, everyone. I'm Robert Drysdale here. You're back. We are back with the Breaking the Guard podcast with my good friend and co-host, David Avalon. And today we have a very special guest, good friend, uh, former training partner, uh, former teammate uh bjj legend open weight champion two times open weight champion hall of famer rodrigo comprido medeiros also just commonly known as comprido comprido how you doing i'm doing fine so thanks for the invitation it's great to be here with you guys and and let's see let's see where this lead us <laughs> all right we're gonna we got so i know comprido like he is. We, we, we like to, to, to speak some you know, frank opinions on the state of jiu-jitsu and martial arts in the world. So I'm sure this is going to be a fun conversation. 
but Comprito, I was I was wondering, like, uh, you know, like talk about because you you were part of the formation of Alliance at a time when it was still Master, right? Even before it was Alliance, it goes way back, right? Um, more or less, I was I was the year I I. I started doing jiu-jitsu was the year that the alliance was put together. And then I was training at the Master Academy. And then I saw that, but with the eyes of a white belt, you know. And then I was always close to the, to the coaches and the people who, who are the, the founders of alliance. So I have a good inside information, but I was not part of anything. I was just starting at the time. So you, uh, uh, who would you consider to be your jiu-jitsu instructor at that time? At that time, it was uh, Jacaré. was just when I started. And then Léo Vieira was the instructor on the academy. But I could never consider Léo my, my teacher because we are such a good friends. I, I, I knew Léo since uh, I was nine years old, you know. So it's really hard, you know, that, you know, to have this rela- this this personal relationship mixed with the instructor and student relationship, you know, so I always see him as a friend and never as a coach, you know, but I obviously I learned a lot from him. So instead of telling us what you've learned from Leo, tell us a Leo Vieira story that no one's ever heard before. Give us something, some childhood story between you guys. I know you guys got some good stories. Childhood story. Man, he gets so pissed when I start to tell his stories. <laughs> that's, that's the whole point. I know that. <laughs> but I like to tell to tell the stories when he's present, you know, like that. Uh, I like to embarrass him. <laughs> we'll send him the link. I'll make sure he gets the link. Man, a childhood story that doesn't embarrass him. Okay. Okay. That's the, okay. Let's go with an easy one. Uh, when we are kids, uh, we used to play on the on the block, right? So uh, you be you know where I live, where I used to live in Brazil. So it's a block away from the beach, and then we knew everybody on that block, you know. So all the kids, uh, it's a lot of jiu-jitsu people who came from that street. So on the maybe on the spring, I don't know which time of the year, the trees get full of the uh, uh, amandua. Uh, uh, it's not almond seed, but uh, yeah. like it's a, it's a big seed here, uh, this big, you know, and then you used to play battles on the street and then obviously people are passing and get get uh, hit by. And like when we hit somebody, we make sure we hide, you know, and then this day <laughs> we hit somebody and Leo is on the top of the tree. And then this guy walk, walks to him uh, really serious and then he, he said to him, uh, the guy was American, right? So, and then he speak with this broken Portuguese and, and asking him to come down to the tree or he's going to call the police. And Leo was trying to, to, to hide, you know, but it has nowhere to go. He was on the top of the tree and the guy yelled on him and stuff. And, uh, the moment the guy turned his back and start to walk away, we are behind the cars and then we start throw uh, stuff on the car again just for him to blame Leo again. And this time Leo ran away, you know. Oh man, good. But I don't know, man. It's hard to tell. I don't know when you somebody asks me to tell a story. It's hard to remember funny one. It's the time that he killed the fish, you know. Like it was, it was on the pot. Uh, it was uh, one of the in Brazil. 
it's very common have those carp fishes okay. on the on the buildings you know like they look good it's these little pools with these carp fishes uh they and then we are it was me marcelo Cazuza, the guy who teaches with me here and then a, a friend of ours there and leo right so for whatever reason when you tap on the water the carp jumps you know so uh, Leo tap on the water when when the the carp jumps he kicked the carp and and then <laughs> obviously the carp died right uh, so uh, the the doorman calls the police so oh suddenly the police arrive you know <laughs> and then by this time they have the carp in a bag you oh know? so God. the police arrive and then they said hey dude I'm gonna I'm gonna arrest you guys you guys killed the carp <laughs> you know like you guys are trying to steal the carp and and I said no no the carp is fine the carp is just resting I I, I can prove you the carp is just resting and then he put the the carp on the water and and he push but the carp turns belly up you know <laughs> and then the the police officer look at him mad dude <laughs> the carp is done I think you guys are gonna have to come with me you know like oh, funny man oh my god. But um, yeah, man, you guys got a lot of history, and like it was a very, very important period in the history of jiu-jitsu. Like we can, we already know that 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 uh, that scene in you know in Ipanema slash Copacabana South Zone, right, Zona Sue, is has entered the the the, the history books of jiu-jitsu because so many of the dominant schools today came out of that region. Like if you look at the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu teams today in the world, they can all trace back their lineage to that small little neighborhood of Rio de Janeiro. So maybe talk a little bit about what like the jiu-jitsu scene was like in the Zona Sul, you know, like growing up in the 90s, um, you know, until like, you know, and then we're, from there we can kick off into your career because I'm a little familiar with that. But I wanted to hear what the scene was like, if it was competitive. I know there's a huge rivalry between Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Luta Livre. What was it like before the jiu-jitsu boom or as the jiu-jitsu boom was occurring and Hoist Gracie was winning? Yeah, the... the... The rivalry between Jiu-Jitsu and Luta Livre doesn't take place too much where we used to live, you know, because the guys from Luta Livre normally they 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 are more towards uh, Botafogo, Flamengo, you know, they live around you know the Rio Sul Mall, on that area. So it's a little bit for the Rio standards, that's a little bit farther. So and then the things happen towards that side or in Barra. You know, the, the, the fight between Hickson and Hugo happened on Pepe, on Barra da Tijuca. So, uh, when I was growing up, Leo was already doing jiu-jitsu way younger. And then me and my friend, most of my friends besides him, we started doing like kickboxing, uh, box talent days. I had done Taekwondo for a bit, you know, and that's more or less when the first value to do happened. You know, and then we said, yeah, fuck this jiu-jitsu guys. If you guys like to hug men, you guys are homosexuals, blah, blah, blah. You know, all those those jokes. And then the, the Luta Libre guys getting bit, get, gotten bit. And, you know, I said, okay, these guys are tough, the jiu-jitsu guys. But it was not my thing, you know. Suddenly, all my friends left the kickboxing and started doing jiu-jitsu. Some went to training at Bolão Academy, what is one of the students of Carson Grace, and some went to the Jacare Academy, you know? So, sometime later, my cousin, Mauricinho, asked me to, to join him on the jiu-jitsu, and then 
since that point, I never managed to train with my friends because they just went for a different academy. So it was not okay at that time. Doesn't matter if the guy is your childhood friend. You were not training with him. He's a friend of mine that I just went to training with him last year. I know the guy since I'm nine years old. The guy's a black belt, you know. Like Now he's, he doesn't do this professional. He's a uh, judge now. Uh, but he come visit last year. It's the first time that I trained with him. And Marcelo, the, the, the Marcelo Cazuza, the guy who, who teaches at my academy, he, he is one of my friends who went to teach at Bolon, you know. And then I just went to watch one of his class to visit his academy maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, you know. And, and then the opportunity presents and he, moves, he moved here, but was, was very competitive. He, I will not say we, we will not speak with the, 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 the guys from another academy, but it was, was not the way it is today, definitely. You know, it, it's in no way you would consider go training with somebody who is not a member of your team. Yeah, I, that sounds very familiar to me. I know when I started training uh i was probably around i started training around 99 when i started doing mixed martial arts and all that after wrestling but i remember my brother and i were winning naga tournaments and we got invited by the Seville brothers conan and marcus to their gym and this is like 2000 and i remember going in there it was like going into like a gang initiation you know, because I'm like 18 years old, my brother 19, and it's a bunch of 30-year-old guys. They're all tattooed up, and everybody's like mm, looking like real mean. You know, like like a Hobbit, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "What the hell, man?" You know, like it was very unfriendly. You know, and uh, we, and that was very familiar. Like most of the times, if you ever went to cross train, it was like that. It was the it was it was like going into gang territory, you know. So I think now, like what you're saying is very true. Like nowadays, it's like, oh, you know, you can go anywhere to train. It's no big deal, you know. There's no like, there's not as much political problems or like people like, oh, you're from that team, I'm gonna kick your ass like right now, you know. I, so it's interesting that that has changed. I, I wonder if it's because now the internet has made accessing all sorts of people easier or i don't know what you would think like what what has made that barrier come down where before cross training was such a frown upon thing and now it's standard yeah i think the 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 access of the information is one thing because look i if, if i'm training with hobbert every day right so most likely i know which are hobbert's weaknesses you know so and then i don't want to other people to know that Hobbit will not want other people to know that. So he will he will not like that I was going to train with somebody who might fight him. That's that's how we think at the time, and that's and that's why people do not compete against uh, teammates. And then I still is no chance that I will ever compete against a teammate. Uh, I, I closed brackets with Hobbit before, um, but that's the thing. I know stuff about him and he knows the stuff about me that we want to keep a secret. If we have to fight, he's going to use his knowledge because then he's going to have to beat me, you know, and then make it easier for other guys. That's the initial thing. And on top of that, I feel very uncomfortable to have to facing my friends. You know, if it's today, somebody asked me, do you want to fight Robert? I would say, no, 
Do you, uh, I pay you to fight Hobbit? I said, no. He's my friend. I, uh, I get together to, with him and we fight you. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that a lot because I know I'm the same way. I know some people don't like when teams close out, but I, I feel that when I'm competing, I mean, I, we spoke with Laval yesterday. I, I said the same thing. For me, I'm always trying to go out there and kill the guy in front of me with whatever rule set they have. I don't want to do that against my brother. You know, like we, there's enough gym wars that we can have that we don't need to do it out in public. Especially like if you're thinking like an MMA or whatnot, you don't want to bust someone's nose or break a leg or, or anything like that with a teammate. So Yeah, especially when you can avoid. When you're in a, in a MMA, you cannot avoid that most of the times, you know, like it is a way to avoid, but it is a point that you cannot do anymore. It's two guys uh, fighting for the belt. It's hard yeah. to avoid that, but as much as you can avoid it, and we do a, a amateur sport, you know, like a, or when we talk about jiu-jitsu, it's an amateur sport. I pay my registration, and if I choose not to fight a teammate, that's my my decision, you know. And you know, I never fight for real against a, a teammate. I, I have a couple fights that I have to do for to pretend, you know, like Abu Dhabi. I have to fight Damian once, you know, like. Uh, and we could not go away of that. I have to fight Roleta in Abu Dhabi as well. What's not my teammate, but uh, it's another story, you know, on that time that people close the bracket. Uh, uh, I have to fight Fabio Gorgel one time, you know, like because it was on, on TV, you know, but it's all fake fights. There's a long tradition in, in, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a documentary of fake fights, but like the fake fights have actually played a huge role in making Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu possible. We're going to make that case because the pe people could not sell fights to the audience unless they were entertaining. So it was the only way they had to you know, survive and allow time for BJJ to exist was orchestrating fights, right? Which I thought was interesting. But, um, yeah, completely. You, like you, I mean, I remember when I started training, the very first magazine, one of the first magazines I bought had you on the cover finishing Holeta and a toehold. And like right after that, you on the cover with Leo Lechi, you had to close the bracket for the open, right? It might have been the next year. I can't remember now. But you're one of the first names that, that popped into, you know, like that were part of like the, my, you know, my, my idea of competitive jiu-jitsu. You know, in those early days, it was, you know, you're one of the first names that popped up. And I remember you went, you went for a toehold on Holeta from open guard. Right, which is a pretty standard move to go for. It's not quite a 50-50, if I remember, but it looked almost like a toll hold from 50-50 from yeah. standing. And I remember like a lot of people like a little shocked about that because we're talking 99 here, right? If yeah. memory serves me well. And at that time in Brazil, especially Brazil, going for a footlock was like uh, it wasn't illegal, but like in, in Thai boxing, if you teep someone to the face it's like blasphemy. Like people want to attack you. Like they have signs at gyms in Thailand that say no teep the face. You can shin me in the eye. No problem. But if you put the sole of your foot on my face, I will kill you, you know? And footlocks were a little bit like that during that period in Brazil. And in some corners, it still might be. It's changed, you know, almost completely, but there might be some of that left somewhere. But talk a little bit about that. Like you, because like there's this whole discourse today that goes on about people ignoring half the body, right? We ignore half the body. Like, no, we're not. Like, 99, we were, you know, Comprito's winning the world title. 
with a toll hole. That's just not true. But uh, talk a little bit about that, like, you know, how your interpretation of jiu-jitsu uh, at that time compared to what the perception, the common perception was of how someone should fight. Uh, just just going to go back a little bit, it's a few things that you had said just to, 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 to make clear. Uh, like uh, the, the fake fights, the, from the fake fights I, I make, never, I, I never make a fake fight for being inter interesting. And I understand what you're saying about the, the documentary. The only one that people think until this day that was, was real was me and Roleta. All the other fake fights I did, everybody kind of, everybody knew was, was fake. And Damien, people pretend they don't knew it was fake. You know, like uh, on the Abu Dhabi, uh, from the, the, the Abu Dhabi people, you know, it was actually the year uh, to go to the tournament on the year that you won, right? Yeah. Uh, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Now, now I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so it was semifinal. Uh, we could not avoid that. And at that time, Damien was training much better than me. I could even actually at that point go to him and say, hey, I'm the older guy and you give the victory to me, but wasn't right. You know, he is the one who was better. If we fight for Rio, he probably would beat me. Um, and then he went there and he did a great tournament, you know. Uh, and then talking about the footlocks. So toehoes are old when I was young, okay? <laughs> <laughs> when I start doing jiu-jitsu, that's very old. But uh, people see that as a, as a cheap technique, a low-level technique. You, you, if, you, if you are not very good, you would attack footlocks. You know, it's a way that don't develop your jiu-jitsu because if you keep attacking footlock, you don't worry about passing the guard and blah, blah, blah. And then I saw people throwing bottles on the mat. You know, I saw uh, black belts. Uh, finishing each other and then being booed and stuff like that. And I had done some footlocks before, you know, uh, on the final of a uh, brown belt nationals, I finished uh, Chuchu Carlos Sherman with, uh, with a Toho. Same thing. I actually finished him twice with the same Toho because he's, he, he yelled and said, ah, and then I let him go. Uh, I released the pressure and I said, tap. And he said, no, 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 I did not tap. I said, dude, you tap. I said, no, I didn't. I said, okay. I looked at the referee. The referee said, keep going. So then I pop his foot, you know? So, but it obviously don't attract any attention because it was just a brown belt uh, finishing another brown belt. The only reason that thing attacks so, attracts so much attention is because it was the final of the Worlds. Uh, I was fighting against, uh, I had fought on that year the two, the two guys on the final, I fought Zemari on the semifinal, the, the, the champion of the year before, and Holieta was the, the second place on the year before, 98. Uh, and that was part of my game plan. I, of course, never thought it would happen the way it happened so fast. And on top of to be this, uh, a submission on the last fight of the tournament is the first time somebody ever had a submission on the uh, black belt final and was the fastest submission uh, in in jiu-jitsu uh, world championship finals until last year. You know, yeah. so that's why give so much momentum. But even here, Hooks, like Dean Lister did, do this for so long. Eric Paulson, way before Dean. Yeah, you even, know? even the, the Luta Livre guys in Brazil did it. Too. The Luta Livre. Yeah. Is, it was common in, uh, from the guys from Luta Livre. Very common from the guys from Luta Livre. But... um. 
No, that's interesting because I remember well that episode with the Holeta, and it was a big boom. I didn't know that was the fastest submission until last year. You said who did yeah. Mike Musumeci beat you? Mike beat me. Yeah, with another foot lock. Yeah, with another foot lock. So it's interesting, huh? Quick submissions for sure. Um, uh, Dave, I, I want to like I don't know if you want to ask anything about this period again about the foot lock conversation. I want to get into some of like the more you know, recent topics, you know, and some of the more what's going on in jiu-jitsu today. And I don't know if you wanted to, you know. Yeah, I know you You were mentioning Dean Lister, and I know you've trained and coached people in MMA. I think Dean was one of them, correct? And I, I, I coached Dean for ADCC. Okay. When I he fought you... Jean-Jacques. Okay, okay. And I know you've also coached famously Brock Lesnar. So yes. I know that must be interesting because he's such a big dude. Uh, how was that like? And did you find them to be like receptive towards learning? Or? Yes, always, always being very. Actually, it was was much much better training with him. I don't. I will not say easier, but much better training with him because he's the one guy who did not try to to destroy me, to rip my head from my body. Every single time we were facing each other was always about uh, to beat the other, but on the challenging ourselves make sure we are getting better you know make sure he was doing something better today than than he was doing yesterday and every time he got me something he knew i would be really upset and i will keep trying to to get him back you know and then the other guys many times they just want to prove themselves and and you know a bunch of heavy wrestlers you know yeah. high level wrestlers so many times go with the brock was was the best of the day you know because the other guys come crazy you know and not that they disregard uh in, in in hurting you or not like you're a wrestler you know how it is you know like yeah the wrestlers training hard all the time you know like and sometimes if you're not prepared i have to to do adjustment because in the in the first things i didn't know really well you know like such so much pressure so fast you know like it's, what the heck man come on let's let's know each other first you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's no adjustment period and wrestlers is all spaz right from the from the beginning just going nuts i know uh i think that throws a lot of people off because uh i the first coach that i trained under this guy randy when we trained my brother he my brother was got into mma first and i was still wrestling and when i trained with him my brother was tapping me with arm bars or mini chokes because i didn't know what was going on and he got me pissed. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. Who do I train with? And he goes, oh, this is my coach. And when I went with his coach, I actually tapped the coach the first time. I got him with the Americana. And because I was just going, ah, and going nuts. And I caught him. And then I was like, oh, this guy's not that good, man. Like, if I tapped him the first time, you know, how is, that, how is he going to teach me? But then I learned shortly after, because he got pissed and then he kicked my ass all over the place. But I think it's just a like different intensity, when, especially, I think, Earlier, jiu-jitsu guys were a lot more calm. They, you know, when they were trained, it was more technical, whereas wrestlers are always just about exploding and, and going wild. Yeah, but, uh, uh, don't, don't get me, me wrong. I, I also learned in this period of time how, how technical wrestling is. You know, yeah. you cannot do those techniques. You cannot pick somebody up the way these guys pick if you don't have the, the perfect technique. And it's the same technique on the end of the day. I believe wrestling and jiu-jitsu are the same fight with different rules, yes. you know. But the body movement, your body going to work the same way uh, when you're practicing wrestling or when you're practicing jiu-jitsu. But the rules make wrestling a much more 
uh, intense fight. It's much shorter. It's, they stop all the time and restart. So you have to go with intensity. You cannot be lazy on wrestling. You know, you know? I, I was just going to say that it's, the, it's in the wrestling's nature to be spazzy and aggressive. And because just for exactly the reasons you just gave, the short rounds, right? And actually, this has been single-handedly. Me and Dave have discussed this before. But one of the biggest advantages wrestlers have had in MMA because the, re- the MMA format is very close to wrestling in that regard, right? Because you get like five minutes of absolute intensity. You get a little break and another five minutes of high intensity. And it's, it's, you need to have that sort of level of aggression in order to fight well. You know, scrambles. You can't afford to lose a scramble in an MMA fight. You might not have another chance, right? So I, I always find that training with wrestlers is, A, fun, because I like to train like that. Or at least I used to like. I, yeah, like I know that. The war. Like, I never liked rolling for <laughs> fun. It's never been fun to me. It's only fun if, you know, we're trying to kill each other. But all wrestlers, from my experience, train like that. 100% of them, high intensity, balls to the wall, kill, 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 which makes it fun, but at the same time, very damaging to the body. Like, I think that in terms of longevity, that's not a good formula. And then for us, for us, from, my, from the Jiu-Jitsu perspective, sometimes when the guy come like that, you know, because it's still, Robert is very intense, but it's not the same intensity that uh, a, a wrestler, you know? So it's almost, I don't say offensive, but uh, you, you think the guy really dislikes you, you know, and he attack you on that way, but it's actually the opposite. It's harder the guy attack you is more respect than he's showing because he said, man, I have to go with everything I got or this guy going to beat me up. You know, if you go with a wrestler and he's playing all loose the way I play, is that this, the guy completely disregard for me. He did not even want to be in front of me, you know? Exactly. So, and then you, like, working with those wrestlers, working with the guys from Minnesota helped me to understand a bunch of stuff, you know, to to separate a bunch of myths that we we believed, you know, that wrestlers are no not technical, they are that they will get tired. No, the wrestlers will not get tired. <laughs> you know, like those guys are are super athletes, you know. But uh, it, was, it was a good period of my life. I I learned a lot and I have some I have lots of fun. So, Cooper, let, let me ask you. I remember like when I when I, you know, when I started training, like you talked about jiu-jitsu gi no gi mma it was all the same thing i didn't i never we didn't make a distinction between jiu-jitsu and balitudo like if you did one you did the other it was almost like the same sport it's in the sense where clearly the rules were different but if you liked one you liked the other if you followed one you followed the other if you bought a magazine that talked about jiu-jitsu the next article was about balitudo and like no one thought that there was a problem with that today we have very specialized press we have very specialized, you know, events. We have very, very specialized rules. And we are watching sort of, uh, uh, um, you know, what used to be one thing turn into, well, I like gi with these rules. I like no gi with those rules. And MMA, it's been its own thing for a long time. We'll discount that. But how do you feel like, and I think that's a reflex of growth. Maybe you agree with me. Like as it grows, maybe that's the natural tendency is for people to become more specialized. But talk about like, I mean, you, ha- you were able to witness firsthand not only the jiu-jitsu boom of the 90s, but also its state today, right? Like you've been in the sport for like 30 years. So, you know, what's, uh, what, what's, what's your perception of the evolution of jiu-jitsu at becoming a worldly sport from 90s to today? 
man, that's a, the blast, you know, that's all we want, you know, like when I start jiu-jitsu, uh, was no perspective to have somebody just making his life, his living of competing uh, in jiu-jitsu in any, any format that you want, you know, uh, there's no money at all, you know, I get money, I get paid very few times, um, on, on, on early on my career, I was talking with Libor, you know, what is one generation before me. First time he got paid was in Abu Dhabi, you know. What is also the first time that I fought uh, a grappling in grappling rules, you know, no gi. You know, now it's impossible you get somebody just showing up in Abu Dhabi, you know, a jiu-jitsu guy, first tournament, no gi, Abu Dhabi. This doesn't happen. I even have a tournament that that one what looks like a MMA that I have a gi, the other guy has no gi, but that is uh, with kicks and slaps allowed. So I had two fights like that before Abu Dhabi. But uh, we, we used to training, you know, uh, thinking about jiu-jitsu. It's not thinking about this. This separation is just for marketing, in my opinion, you know. Like when you say, oh, I do self-defense jiu-jitsu. I do no gi jiu-jitsu. I do uh, gi jiu-jitsu. I do competition. I do uh, invisible. I do green. I do whatever other name. Gracie jiu-jitsu. And that's all jiu-jitsu. American jiu-jitsu, you know. Like, that's all uh, a way to label uh, something, you know, to, to, to benefit you, to, to bring something that you, a part of the sport that you do well or that makes sense for you to advertise yourself on that, on that place. You know, but jiu-jitsu is jiu-jitsu. You should be able to do self-defense, to do a basic MMA. Today is impossible, you know. You take a guy on jiu-jitsu as before. When horses start to fight, you could take a, a raw jiu-jitsu guy and throw inside the, the cage and he will do well. Or a wrestler or a boxer, you know. That was okay at that time. Today, doesn't matter. You take the best wrestler in the world. If he doesn't have a training for MMA, he's going to be destroyed. Same thing with the best boxer. Same thing with the best jiu-jitsu fighter. If the, he doesn't train the other, uh, the other arts, he will be smoked. Uh, and, you know, the jiu-jitsu become a lot of, a lot of fragmented on this way. I, I hate that there's so many rules. You know, it's much easier if you follow just one rule. I believe the IJJF have the, the best rules, the best rule set, you know. But in my time... It, you will be fighting gi or no gi or whatever, you know. Now it's people who only fight no gi, people who only fight with gi, you know, becomes a lot more specific. Uh, what I, I don't really think is bad at all. You know, I think that's as everything, you know. Uh, a tennis player still play tennis on the, on the dust and on the, the grass, but he's probably going to be better in one of those two, right? Sure, yeah. sure. No, I think, uh, like you're saying, it's just, uh, well, a lot of the labeling, of course, I think it's marketing. People are trying to create a legacy for themselves by establishing their own sect. You know, like when you yeah. say Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, it's to say the Gracie name will carry on and that's their contribution to society or whatnot. Uh, not as much as like it's a very different style. I, the one thing I thought you were funny when you talk about self-defense jiu-jitsu, I always found that like <laughs> very silly. Like some of you, go, oh, what's a good art for self-defense? Well, mixed martial arts is self-defense. If you can fight in the cage, you can fight in the street. You know, yeah. 
I mean, mine well, is no, the eye gouging or the... <laughs> I, I make a distinction that self-defense is when you can protect yourself against somebody who doesn't know nothing. And then, and then uh, when you do MMA or Valitude, whatever, I still call Valitude all the time because that's uh-huh. the name I learned. But that's when you, you have to prove yourself against somebody as good as you or even better than you, yeah. you know? Because a lot of these techniques that you, we learn from self-defense, they are great if, you, if you're doing it somebody who never, you know, training anything, you know. But the, if I try to do half of that stuff, it will not work against you because you have such a, a good base standing that, you know, those half-ass techniques will not work. So I yeah. have to be much more specialized to do that. And that's when I put on the category of MMA, of course. Yeah, if you do MMA, you, you don't need self-defense, you know. Yeah, I, that's I mean, why I say is it should not be a little bit uh, fragmented like that. You should learn every everything. You know, I'm not saying that in jujitsu class you're gonna learn how to punch perfectly. You're gonna learn how to do a double leg the same way wrestlers do. This will never happen. You know, like you're gonna learn to to punch perfect when you learn from a, from a boxer, for somebody who really knows how to do it. You're gonna learn how to do the perfect takedown. Uh, double leg when you learn from the from a good wrestler uh, a good uh, take I, I have a good uh, I'm good standing you know my judo is pretty good I training judo a lot and then I had uh, Leo Leach coming to do a class uh, online class on my academy for my students yesterday and I said oh Leo man I do this style Tosh but I that's the way I teach and I know is wrong you know because I give three steps for the before the technique and I said can you show the way you do it and the guy just do two two steps you know, I'm considering myself a knowledgeable coach. Uh, I, I, I'm tough to put down. Uh, I, I compete judo a lot, but still, my technique is not as perfect as somebody who is specialized in that. Absolutely. I, I think that goes, you know, I mean, that's just a law of economics, right? Like, you, we can't be good everywhere. Or we can't be experts everywhere. There's always going to be somebody who if they spend their time in one particular area, they're going to be better than us because they've devoted everything to this, but then they have ignorance and other things. So, I mean, you've been involved with coaching MMA and I don't know you've seen now, like it looks like jujitsu is having less of a role in MMA now than it historically has, where to me it seems more often than not now we're looking at like boxing fights with some wrestling. And there's few standouts that still are capitalizing on very good jujitsu, but uh, I wonder what you think on that. Because no, keeping that in mind, that because that people can't spend their time everywhere, and especially in the fight game, they have to pick their spots. And I think what most coaches are thinking, it's easier. It takes much longer to get really good at jujitsu than it does to become a striker or even just to have enough wrestling. You know, not to get taken down and, and basic stuff. Uh, what do you think about that? And not just that, that the jiu-jitsu is... Uh, like, even, even wrestling that I, I think is a pretty complex fight, jiu-jitsu is much more complex than wrestling, you know. Yeah. Uh, the, the rules of jiu-jitsu are also much more than the, the rules of wrestling a lot. And boxing is, man, it's pretty basic, you know. Like, you know, you learn all the movements of boxing on your first week and then you just have to improve the way you... You perform those movements. In jiu-jitsu, 
I don't know everything what there is to know in jiu-jitsu. Robert doesn't know, and I don't think nobody in the world knows every single uh, movement in jiu-jitsu, you know? Uh, so it's, it's a lot of more complex. Uh, and another very import, important factor that we touched earlier, boxing and wrestling are, are fights that are much faster, uh, not much faster, the rounds are much faster. You have to be pressured right away. Jiu-jitsu... You know, depending who is the, the fighter, like on my case, I'm the guy who take my time to set up my stuff. I'm kind of a lazy fighter. Uh, I'm not super aggressive. You know, I take my time to set up my stuff. And then a lot of people plays like that. And even the aggressive guys in jiu-jitsu, they, they look passive if you compare with the intensity of wrestling. You know, so that makes more sense to you for you to fight uh, on, the, on the UFC format that's five minutes on the pride then you have 10 minutes and then five then jiu-jitsu will show up much better yeah. you know and on top of that if you go to the floor the other guy doesn't have to follow you that he can just pull you up you know that the, the format of mma is to make you fight standing you know it's you know, one thing that i, I want to add to that and I, and I always when this discussion comes up i always want to say it you got to remember if you're on the bottom you can't kick Right. If I were in guard and I can kick you in the head, my guard would be a hundred times more efficient. Oh, you yeah. You have a really hard time ground and pounding me if I can shin you in the head from the bottom. Right. So like, that's one of those things that I, I don't I don't, I should think that should be legal. Like, that's my opinion. That should be a legal move because I'm on the bottom. I should be able to kick the person on top. But not everyone agrees. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm all for that. I think the less rules, the better. You know, I, I find it, we're doing I mean, by the total. Everything goes, right? I, I feel it should be the same way. I hate that you can't, you know, as a bottom guy, upkick someone who's on their knees. Or, like, likewise, the guy standing can't stomp on somebody or whatnot. I, I like pride rules the best of any of the rules for that reason. I like the longer round. And uh, I felt that the longer round let grappling matches be better. And it's also a little more realistic. You know, I, I know fighting is not realistic in a sense in the rules, but... It's closer, you know. Rather, I, I hate the idea of someone being saved by the bell, you know, in between rounds. That's like, oh, this, I mean, it breaks the realism, right? Because you're like, if this was a real fight, this would have been over. But you yeah, got saved by a sport. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, but I understand you can't do the no time limits anymore because it's not good for TV and, and whatnot. But there's something to be said about those, those early UFCs where there were no time limits, no rules. No weight limit. What no weight limits. And you could grab people by the hair. I think it was it like a hoist one against chemo by grabbing yeah. his hair and setting up the triangle, you know? So it's kind of pretty wild. But I, I, I always think it's a good thing for the young guys to learn. Because I know like the, the younger fighters that haven't watched the early UFCs. And they're like, what? You can do that? I'm like, yeah, back in the day, these people were crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you could headbutt. Like yeah. headbutt. Like full on, man. Well, headbutt's such a powerful weapon, though. Yeah. Like yeah. people don't realize it. But, like, yeah, like Dan Severn won a lot of fights just by headbutting people. Look at this, man. Right Validi. Talk yeah. about a weapon. Yeah, no, Hobart <laughs> have a, a big advantage if that was a law. That's why I've always advocated for it. <laughs> but do you know how, how this, uh, this valetudo between Jiu Jitsu and Luta Libre took place, right? So they, they convinced the, the biggest TV station in Brazil to show uh, on live right so 
and it was on the afternoon, I think, if I'm not wrong. So, but they they lied. The organi- the organizers lied and said that it would be open hand or almost like a grappling match, right? So, first fight, Validi and uh, who Eugenio fight? Tadeu. and Eugenio. And Validi start to, to headbutt him and get his face all bloody and start to yell, Jiu-Jitsu, Jiu-Jitsu. You know, like a slot from the Goonies, you know. And, <laughs> and man, that, that's why the, this actually this was so good for Jiu-Jitsu, but also was so bad because that's what they start to call us pit boys and 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 make our image image really bad because the executives to the to the global channel hated jiu-jitsu and mma for so long you know like it was a value to do fight but they see as the jiu-jitsu guys fault because yeah of course i think that was a similar thing that happened here in the u.s when the ufc came out right they started calling it human cockfighting and all that and but i think that was because it was boxing uh, the yeah. boxing try not give uh, uh, any space, you know, for for competition, you know. Uh, I don't know if at that time I, I assume so. At that time, the WWE would be the, the yes. biggest competitor of boxing, you know, and then they did not want a third party involved, and then they did everything they could to to kill UFC, you know. Yeah, from my understanding, it was a mix of both the WWE and boxing that didn't like MMA stepping in. And I think uh, one of the reasons, I think it was Anheuser-Busch was a big sponsor of those, or of particularly WWE, I believe. And it was actually John McCain that had pushed through the legislation. Yeah, yeah, John McCain. Yeah. To get the UFC off, you know. So we have politicians to thank for the current state of MMA. But it's hard to say if it was a good thing or a bad thing. If the sport would have been able to grow in its old format. Yeah, we're never going to know. I think on the end of the day, it turns out well. Yeah. Uh, really really well for the Ferchita, really bad for the for the Gracie, you know, for Horio, you know, who sold super cheap. <laughs> you, know, you know, but one thing that I remember well when, when, you know, when I first started training and when I first becoming more familiar with MMA, there was one thing that everyone agreed on. Everyone who trained jiu-jitsu and followed the UFC back in the late 90s, early 2000s, everyone knew the sport was going to blow up. There was a sense of confidence that MMA was so much more exciting than, than boxing, you know, that it was just a matter of time before MMA took over. And I'm not sure what the pay-per-view sales are, like, worldwide between MMA and boxing. I might imagine that MMA has a bigger audience today. I don't know for sure. But I, I feel very confident in saying that MMA is more interesting for the average viewer. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you there. I think right now boxing pay-per-views are still bigger, but they're less uh, frequent. Like right yeah. now, there's so many MMA cards that it's kind of made it harder for them to get those higher pay-per-view numbers because there's so many events to watch. But at the same, I think if you average it out over time, you know, I think, I don't know, we might be in the bubble now with the way social media works. It's sending you what you like, you know, but uh, I can't move away from seeing stuff about MMA. I mean, it's, it's just everywhere. Yeah. I think uh, the fact that you have the UFC, you know, the, what boxing really doesn't have are like strong organizations that are pumping out events frequently, right? They're usually doing like one-off cards, like, oh, we do a big fight here and then we do a big fight there. 
since there isn't like a, one thing that's constantly moving, there's no momentum going behind it. You know, like the UFC, every event is essentially building off the previous one. I, I think. Yeah, that's... and then boxing, I think, rely a lot on the on the fighter, and that the UFC create a brand. The UFC, they don't want to yes. promote the fighter as much. You know, is the UFC champion not? so much the fighter you know right exactly right because now it's what you said it's the ufc champ you know and then the sport is called ufc you know there's a the joke that people say oh i train ufc right but like yeah. <laughs> but it's a reality because there nobody goes oh i train golden boy boxing right yeah so like boxing is still the sport whereas ufc has done the job of like you said branding itself to be the sport so yeah. It, it kind of sucks for the fighters because it takes away leverage from them. You know, like the only guy who has like serious clout is Conor McGregor. You know, he's the one guy that essentially has like Mayweather like star power in the UFC. And uh, but like I, that was intentional, though. I think Dana knew enough from boxing to see that he wanted his organization to be the name. And no fighter up to Conor, you're right, has ever carried enough weight to actually be able to challenge the UFC. Conor has that sort of power, but no one else has ever been able to come close to doing that. It's because no, Dana has always made sure the UFC, I don't think he could start his own organization and sell the way, you know. I think Conor could probably have, like, put together an organization to rival the UFC if he fought on it consistently, you know. I don't know. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm pushing a little too far, but the UFC definitely is a name that outdoes the name of if any fighter out there. Like there's, you know, it's, it's, it's about the UFC. People remember the UFC above any other fighter for sure. Well, he did make a good point. Brock Lesnar was the original superstar. I would say before Connor, whenever Brock came into a fight, like he was able to. Do whatever you wanted as yeah, well. but the, one of the reasons is because he was before UFC. Yes, he was a star before UFC. You know, yes. not that there's not is obviously a bunch of national wrestling champions over there and even Olympic champions, but because of the WWE, Brock has so much leverage. You know, he's so well known, and then his his behave of either is the way that I wanted this this shit to happen or. This shit will not happen, you know? And then he made clear, look, I will do this on these circumstances, you know, kind of what McGregor does. Uh, just that McGregor really enjoyed to be in front of the cameras, and I don't think Brock had so much fun to be in front of the cameras. So I guess bringing this back into grappling, right now we don't really have someone like that. I guess the closest thing we have would probably be Robert's favorite person. <laughs> it's Gordon <Ooh>. Ryan. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I like his jiu-jitsu. It's just like when he talks, his jiu-jitsu goes down three levels. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because I find that jiu-jitsu is in this crossroads. And history does repeat itself, right? Like Jigoro Kano originally moved away from the term jiu-jitsu. Because he didn't like the association with professional fights, fake fights, the circus. He wanted to distance himself from that idea, right? And, you know, we're watching a huge push, especially in North America, to make jiu-jitsu professional. Maybe it's for the better, but they're really, you know, they're learning from the lessons from pro wrestling and boxing. 
and it's becoming more and more like pro wrestling and boxing and less and less like the judo from where it came from, you know? So there's, there's that element. And I don't know. I go back and forth on it. Maybe it's better for people, the fighters. Yeah. They make more money, but I think overall for the sport, we, we do lose a little bit. I think that we, we would have, we have a lot to learn from judo in the sense of its values and philosophy and respect and all those things that I feel are being lost. They were lost in Brazil and they're further lost as BJJ becomes professionalized. Right. I would like to see a, uh, going back to our roots and like looking at martial arts as a way of really improving on people, you know, but it's not, it's not the position of the, of the zeitgeist, you know, the current moment is one for entertainment at any cost, you know, it's all about entertainment and, and everything else kind of takes a backseat to that, you know, but I, I don't know if long-term that's going to stick. I wonder if that's going to be the norm moving forward or if at some point, you know, it's going to, people are going to get tired of that and going to go, yeah, man, like jujitsu was better when, you know, we weren't trash talking. And I think you should trash talk when no, you don't like the guy. You know, not trash talk for trash talk. I, whatever, man. Yeah. People do whatever. <laughs> if it's genuine, do. I'm on board. I, I agree with you. If it's genuine, I, I agree with it. But like in MMA, I feel like it rarely is, you know. BJJ is kind of following its, its coattails. Yeah, I think it, it's... It's very easy to spot fake trash talk or just people who are trying to get attention. And I don't know, to me, when I see it, it's very needy. You know, it seems, I don't know, it's very weak to me. I like, uh, I, I like guys like Damian Maya, you know, that they have, to me, that they're good ambassadors for the sport. And yeah. kind of like what you're saying, Robert, they're, they're credit to like the virtues of the martial arts training. Because ultimately, the idea behind, I would hope, behind the sport is to get more people behind the movement. Because, you know, most of us are gym owners and we want more students in our gym. At the same time, giving back to the lessons that we've learned to the martial arts. You know, I think we can pose that question to anybody. Like, would you sell your martial arts experience for $10 million or $100 million? And for me, the answer is always no. Right? I, I, it's part of who I am now. And it would be something I would hope more people would have. And when we start supporting people by giving them more money or more attention for trash talking or, you know, doing all the crazy stuff that Connor's done, it sends the wrong signal to me. Because as a younger guy, you look at that like, oh, that's what I need to do to be at the top of the game. That's what I do. That's what I need to do to get respect, right? Which is actually ironic. You're showing a lack of respect is how you get respect. Yeah. Yeah, it's the maf mafia respect, you know, like the, all those mafia movies. The guy said, "Yeah, you should respect," but the, the guy who doesn't respect nobody's uh, uh, saying that, you know. Exactly. Uh, and then, like in UFC, you have so many good people to to promote. Damien Stipe uh, was a great guy. He still work uh, with the firefighters. Uh, Rose Namayunis, you know, is a bunch of good people that you could promote. And then I understand. Trash talk sales and stuff is a character, but why you just want a one character? Why not to have the other ones? And then those those guys are legit. They are who they are. You know, they are nice people. You know, they don't trash talk you and and to the point that you want to fight them, and then they go and start try to hug you and say, ah, no, man, that's just for the cameras. Fuck, man. Yeah. Tell me what you think about me. I tell you what I think about you. You know, like don't 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 bullshit me. Exactly. You know, like to me, one of the guys 
that I think it was iconic for his persona was Mike Tyson. But it wasn't a persona. That was Mike. That was him. It was genuine. Yeah. <laughs> it was genuine. You know, that's yeah. why he terrified people. You know, it wasn't an act. You know, the guy. <laughs> it's like it's like Vanderlei. You know, I, I remember like Tito Ortiz once told me years ago that the only time in his life he was scared of fighting someone was when Vanderlei looked him in the eye and like across, you know, and just like started doing a little hand thing that he did. You know, and that was like Tito told me like the only time in my life that I was actually scared of another man because I realized that that guy was a true psycho and he was ready to kill me in there if he had to, and he wasn't faking it. Yeah. You know? yeah. But, um, let me ask you this before I let you go. I know you're busy, tons of stuff going on, but let me ask you this. If you had dictatorial powers, I'm giving you all the powers in the world, right? You are I will the force you to shake. The true king of jujitsu and you have the power to change everything. You got your green hair going. And you're sitting on this high throne, and you ha- you can change the rules, you can change people, you can change how people look at it, you can change, make jujitsu any way you want. What would you do? Man, I just wish uh, the the man, I, and then that's weird coming from me because you know that I always being a strategist. I always try to pick the the way that I could win. But I wish the jiu-jitsu become a little bit more all around, you know, because what happened today, it's not just that, but what happened today a lot is people pull guard and they will not even sweep you if they don't think they can land on your back, you know, and I liked, and we always liked the past, right? So maybe that's the way it's supposed to be, but I think uh, I like, I like to, to make people to learn side control attack, side control defense, and how to pass guard, you know? Because what happened is two skinny guys, the, the little guys, they pull each other's guard, and then the guy on top really don't is not trying to pass. He's just trying to defend himself and find a way to disengage and pull guard, you know? That's what I, I would change a little bit, but that's, that's a strategy, you know? Um, I understand why the things happen the way they are. And then the only way to change that is when some group of dominant passers uh, show up on the light divisions and start to passing everybody guard. And then there's going to be fashion and everybody going to start to pass the guard the way those guys do, you know, because we have pretty good guys passing guard. Leandro doesn't even stay in the 50-50, you know, Bushesha pass guard really well. They fight to be standing but I think it has to happen on the lower belts, you know? Yeah, I agree. So that's a small change, Coprito. I, I thought you were going to revolutionize the sport way more than yeah, that. that <laughs> man. No, I think the rules always can be improved. Is the stuff that I don't like, that I don't think is supposed to work the way it is. But I think uh, they, they work, you know? I don't know if you are on the group. I, I assume you are. When they change the rules, they send stuff for us to review and to give our opinion, you know. And I think that's important to have the input of the the coaches and the fighters, uh, you know. Uh, but the, the rules is cannot be, and that is something that I I, I like on IBJF. They don't do stuff just to make the fight the the the, the fights more exciting, but also to protect the athletes. In some cases, it's overprotection, but, you know, I've been in cases, you know, that training with a friend of ours who is tetraplegic, 
you know, in a training for something that today would be uh, illegal. You know, so when I was training with Feijão many years ago, he shoot a single leg and with the head outside. And then when I sit and throw him, uh, he ended falling on his head and then broken his neck, you know, and then he's in a wheelchair, you know. And then like as a wrestler, you might thinking, ah, man, but who cares about shooting with the head outside with suplex people and stuff? But man, I guess, you know, some stuff marked me really deep, you know, this is steroid stuff. Uh, I saw the guy died in front of me for use of steroids, you know, so uh, the, the, the other drugs, I saw people wasting their lives, you know, like uh, Robert knows where I live. I live, in a, <laughs> I live in a building in Brazil that has a bar, okay, right in front. So to go to my house, I have to walk inside the bar, uh, in front of the bar. There's no way. Uh, and then I saw so much people wasting their whole life over there. People who were there when I was walking out and when I walked back in. And since I was a little boy, and some of these people still yeah, alive still over there, but most of them died, you know, <laughs> mostly for complications in that. In that. Yeah. And, and you know, Robert, uh, one day the guy go to Gabriel Cardoso. Gabriel Cardoso is one of the best competitors uh, from my generation, you know, uh, lower belts, you know, purple, brown belt. So he's a very good friend of mine. And I don't drink much. I almost never drink, you know, especially when, when I was young. And then Gabriel was talking with this friend of his and he said, ah, oh, Comprido, man, this, this guy is really tough, man. And man, I tell you, he, he has to be super tough because I see him drinking every day. <laughs> then Gabriel said, what? I said, yeah. He's always on the door of the bar, you know. <laughs> I think I said, no, he lives there, you know. Because every time I walk, it's somebody that I know. And then I stop a little bit and, and talk. So it's no way. Until this day, sometimes I, I'm going home or I'm leaving. And I saw, like, some people already drunk that know me. That will slow me down for 15 minutes. And sometimes I try to hide myself to go <laughs> on my house. But it's, it's impossible sometimes, you know, when I go visit my mom. <laughs> and then when I do that in two minutes the, the, the interphone rings and then somebody hey come here we know you're in home come here let, let's take a beer I said dude you know I don't drink okay might just come outside you know <laughs> yeah I got a few friends like that at least a few you know but um, anyway um, Dave you want to ask anything else man anything else you want to add uh, no, I was just going to comment on what you were saying at the end there with the rules. I, I, I can appreciate like how, you know, traumatizing that can be like if you're a training accident with somebody that you care about, and, you know, they get paralyzed. I've, we've been close to having that once. I had one of my students who got suplexed and landed right on her neck, couldn't feel her toes, and it looked really bad. Fortunately, she was able to make a recovery, and she's now fighting, you know, still. Wow. But there was like a day where they were the doctor. So said, please tell me, is another girl suplexing her? <laughs> it wasn't. So, uh, did you did you beat did you guys beat him up? <laughs> you know, it was a it was a total accident. Like the way it went down, like it it didn't. It was just a combination of bad things that happened. You know, the guy was a really nice guy. He felt no, I bet, I bet. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but I mean, there were a lot of people that wanted to kick his ass. <laughs> but, but she made a recovery. But after that, you know, 
it always makes you question things about how you do things. Like I know we had once the the one that people always ban the leg scissors, right? Yeah. Uh, and we had it was weird because we were doing that technique for years, nothing ever happened, and then in the span of two weeks, two people broke their legs. And I'm like, what the hell? But at that point, we're like, you know what? No more leg scissors. You know, like it's just, I don't know what happened where suddenly the technique became super fatal, but like. It was just too much, you know, and um, but for competition, I, I I don't know, you know, for training, I get it. We like I, I try to be more conservative for training, you know, especially now. Like I don't want people getting hurt in training, you know. That's not the time to get hurt. In competition, I vary. On an amateur, I don't mind where rules are more restrictive. It makes sense. These are not professional athletes. On a professional athlete, I feel like they're grown-ups. They can make their own decision on what rule set they want to fight under. You know, I, I, I guess I don't know now. Like, when I was a fighter, I wish there was less rules. You know, I, I want to be able to do the headbutts. I want to be able to kick people when they're down and all that stuff. I think it makes it a very big change on the strategy of fighting. Uh, but I don't know, but I'm not fighting now. You know, I don't know what fighters now think. Maybe they have a different mind about it. They're like, you know what? I don't want to get soccer kicked when I'm on my fours. And, okay, I guess, you know, it's your, you're the guys fighting now, so they get to make the, I would hope they would have a, a say in what rules they're playing in. Yeah, I, I'm not convinced a soccer kick is any harder than a head kick where that someone's been, you know, training for their whole lives. I think that's the power behind it might be the same if not even the head kick be even harder, right, when they're standing. So I'm not, I'm not convinced one is harder than the other. Yeah, I, think, I, I think a kick standing is harder than – Yeah. unless I, the, I, the guy is already done. They're prepared But if he's like already done, the, ju- the referee should be stopping the fight, not letting the guy kick, you know. Correct. I, I think those type of things, like, make a big difference, like the downed kicks – because you see a lot of people, when they get in trouble, they go in their fours, they cover up. Well, you can't hit the back of the head, and you can't really kick your knee on the head. Now you have to play a submission game more. Or expect the ref to stop the fight when you're hitting them on the sides, you know, even though you're not really you – know, you might not be hurting them as much. I, and it kind of makes less jiu-jitsu in their match too, right? If you were allowed to soccer kick somebody when they're in their fours, you wouldn't stay on your fours because you know I'm in a dangerous spot. I would instead, what, pull guard, right? Because that's what people did traditionally, you know? Like, I, I wouldn't go into a jiu-jitsu match and go, oh, take my back from the beginning. Like, I would never do that. But in fighting, people will do that. So I, I think little rules like that make a huge impact on how the strategy uh, of a fight would go down. So I don't know. Yeah, you're always going to adjust to whatever rules are presented to you. If they say, okay, you cannot punch with your right hand, your power hand gonna be your left. Yeah. You know, no questions about. It. You're gonna train so much that your left hand gonna be super strong. You know, and this for every every single sport. You know, and that's why I don't like so much the, in jiu-jitsu nowadays. Every single organization tries to do something that, oh yeah, we do IBJJF rules, but we do not allow double pull. We do IBJJF rules, but we do not give advantage. We do IBJJF rules, but we allow uh, uh, heel hooks. Uh, we do IBJJF rules, but we do, but we allow neck cranks. You know, so every single rule of the single one of those rules have a reason to be there. And then if you cannot even write your own rules, dude, <laughs> you know, 
For the sport, it's much easier when it's just one set of rules, you know? Uh, at least a, a main set of rules. But in Jiu-Jitsu, there's so much stuff outside of that, you know? And then change, even like Metamoris rules, you know, submission only. It's a completely different fight. Yeah. You know, when I fought Saulo, in, in, a, in, in, in a moment there, he, he, he passed and mounted me, right? So I'm not saying that he, he could never pass my guard or could never mount me, but if we are having that fight in a IBJJF tournament or in a tournament that he did not give the, that, that, that I have to submit to him or get a draw, I will never go for a bicep slicer in the, in the guy who have the, the arm uh, so short like him. Yeah. You know, but because it's submission only, you know, and then it will not cost me nothing. If I miss the submission, then I went for a bad submission and then the guy ending passing and mounting. Yeah. You know, but I will not uh, ever do that. Uh, it makes no sense to attack a guy like that with that attack. Uh, and then the rules, the rules play a big role in how the fight gonna going to take place, you know. Yeah, and you and then people would try to compare that. Well, if this was an IBGF thing, it would have been he would have lost. But like you said, then I would have not done that, right? So it's exactly. Not, yeah, it's not an apples to apples comparison. It's two different rule sets. And I think the more these rules split, I know Robert, you've said this a bunch of times, like with now the like the Eddie Bravo type rule sets. You have athletes now that they're used to training so uh, specialized in one niche that they can't cross over to another one because they're totally unprepared for it, right? So I think for me, I always like seeing the purest form of fighting, you know? So when we have rule, like to me, the, when you have something where the rules are so niche, they, they start moving away from the realism of fighting, it, to me, it takes away the appeal, right? Like I, I find like I, I, for, the, for MMA, the down kicks, to me, is a huge pull away because it changes a lot of how the fight would be played. You know, so when people specialize in that, I feel like when they actually go in a, in a street fight or something, they might prepare themselves poorly, thinking, "Oh, this is a safe place." You know, like no, it's a, it's a really bad spot. So I don't know, that's my take on it. Okay. Right, I have a, a story about Carson Grace fighting an MMA MMA fight, and then at that time they used to fight on the stadiums, you know, and then he ended fighting a place that the floor is concrete. Oof. You know, so turns out that the guy put him down. So he he earlier have understood that is a concrete, and then he could hurt the guy using the floor, right? So when he got down, he kicked the knee to the guy backwards. You know, so his leg scratch mm -hmm. on his knee scratch on the floor. The guy position again. He kick again. He come back. He kick again. The guy had to stop the fight. You know, uh -huh. so. Uh, if you're thinking about today, you're allowed to do that, but it will not do any difference kicking the knee of somebody inside the octagon. But if then you are talking about the street, you know, and then the guy is with his knees on the asphalt or on the concrete, so then you could hurt somebody just kicking the knee in that way, you know. So uh, Things take shapes in different uh, circumstances, you know. Sometimes you think, ah, this is irrelevant. I'm never going to be able to use that. And then there's a, a circumstance that it, that's applicable, you know. That's pretty clever. The, 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 the one I've seen in the old Valetudo, I forgot who did it. 
and they were fighting on the ropes. And the guy's head was sticking in between the ropes, and he grabbed the rope and wrapped it around <laughs> the guy's neck and choked him with it. Uh, I'm like, dude, that's insane. But no. I think kicking the guy in the concrete, dragging his knees, that's pretty smart. I would have probably not thought of that. Yeah. I've heard once, I don't know if this is true or not, but the, the knee on belly position, it's not a judo position. In judo, they don't teach knee on belly, right? So where did knee on belly come from? And old Valetudo days, because they were always fighting, if not on concrete, like on a hard surface, a very good position to do damage from would be a knee on belly. Because if you put your knees on concrete, it hurts. So you put the knee on belly so you can drop some bombs, right? So I don't know if this is right. I have no way of verifying this, but the knee on belly would have come from an MMA tradition and not from judo. Hmm. And then, uh, look, that's the thing. I, I Sometimes I talk with friends from old school, and they said, oh, yeah, because uh, we get three points. It used to be three points for knee on the belly. It's three points of knee on the belly because you can drop a bunch of bombs on the face of the guy. But what happened is when you – last time you see somebody put the knee on the belly on the MMA. No, you don't. doesn't, doesn't but, but happen. I'm, I'm referring to a period where – no, the, the, the level was nowhere near where the UFC is. Yeah, exactly. Back in the day, people that don't know how to shrimp and bridge and like get off the bottom, a neon belly, against someone who's clueless is what I'm saying, neon belly is a dominant position. If they know this yeah, much and wrestling then, or And then today, the, the problem is on the rules, they damage the neon the belly because before, when we start, you have to put the knee across the belly of the guy. It used to be shin on the belly, not knee. You have to put your whole leg there. Now you can put just the tip of your knee on the side of the guy, and then knee on the belly becomes just a tool to score a, a two points or advantage. You know, so it's a complement of the pass, uh, the guard passing. You pass the guard, and you go for the knee on the belly. You're either going to get one advantage or you're going to get uh, two points, but you don't have to commit with the knee on the belly. So if you are not commit, if you are in a position that you're just there for the points and really not trying to attack. You're never going to be good enough to be able to pull that into a, in, in an MMA fight or into develop from that point. Because what uh, was created on the knee on the belly 20 years ago, 30 years ago, is the same thing that people do from the knee on the belly today. What new technique you saw from the knee on the belly uh, recently? Yeah. You know, I, I cannot no, think about the least nothing. Point scored in jiu-jitsu. Out of all points scored in jiu-jitsu, the one that is scored the least amount of times is neon belly, which speaks volumes about how efficient it really is. Yeah. I just think it's interesting. It's the one position that doesn't come from judo. It's the one position that we teach in Brazilian jiu-jitsu that doesn't find its origins in judo. Everything else, everything else can be fine found in judo. Yeah, so I guess we did create something. <laughs> <laughs> that is the conclusion. <laughs> the only thing Bruce Lee created was the neon. Else, we the only technique we don't use. <laughs> All right, guys, I really gotta go, man. I, I got another call here blowing up. I I, I got some other commitments. But Comprito, you're not only a role model, you're a legend in the sport. You're a good friend. Uh, thank you so much for giving us your time. I'm sure we will do this again at some point. And you are welcome to join the ADCC Masters Club here in Las Vegas. Currently, it's me and David Avalan. Movato said he's going to show up at some point, too. We got a Masters Club going on here in Vegas. You're more than welcome to join.
Masters of old people or masters as wise people? Oh, old people. We're four. Oh, okay, okay. We're like then I can be part of that wise. group. We're just old. If it's the wise, I, I have to refuse myself. <laughs> uh, one last thing, Kumpino. Uh, let people know where they can find you online if they want to follow you or if there's anything you want to plug. Sure. Uh, you can find me uh, at Comprido BJJ in pretty much all the social media. Um, I have, I, I'm in Chicago or in, in Bloomingdale. I'm 40 minutes away from Chicago. If you guys are in the area, please stop by. I hope next year I come back. Me and Felipe Costa, we always have our Brazilian Black Belt camp that we've been doing for so many years. I'm not even like to think uh, how uh, for how long we've been doing that because that makes me feel very old. And I have a channel on YouTube that nobody watches my videos. I have... Uh, it's just me and my mom watching those videos. So if you guys one day are doing nothing, you know, put Computer BJJ on YouTube. You're going to see a channel. You're probably going to be one of the first people to ever saw uh, that technique. Nobody awesome. likes it. We'll make sure to tune in. Thank you, Computer. And, uh, take care, take guys. Care. Be good. Awesome. Love you guys. Yeah, thank you. Ciao. Thank you guys for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, feel free to like, share, comment, give us your feedback, all that good stuff. If you guys want to learn more about Comprito, you can go ahead and visit his, his social media. On Instagram, you can find him at Comprito BJJ. That's C-O-M-P-R-I-D-O-B-J-J.com. You could also find him on his YouTube channel, which he was <laughs> talking about, which has more than two views, I can assure you. Uh, it's just at youtube.com slash comprito bjj just like his instagram handle and uh, he has a bunch of videos there for free again another really good guy he also has them both in english and portuguese so you're brazilian or you speak portuguese and you prefer to learn from that way he gives you that option too so pretty smart go ahead and check him out there and uh we'll catch you guys on our next podcast thanks again and have a wonderful day a final word from one of our sponsors, which is the Kimura Trap System. We are still offering our summer special, which if you use the coupon code KLDIS87, stands for Kimura Lockdown is 87. You can get the Kimura Trap System course for $50 off. That's 25% off the total value. Again, great deal for the 11 hour course. And you can get that both in DVD or online streaming. Just visit KimuraTrap.com and remember to use the coupon code KLDIS87.